Hello. Am I live? Hold on. I'm just uh, refreshing my feed here. Hold on. Okay, I think I am. So, uh, I'm back here. Uh, sorry for the, you know, beginner jitters here. Um, the, but yeah, welcome to this special edition of the Constitution Podcast. It's uh, actually been a long while since I uh, did the podcast. And now that I'm back doing the podcasting, uh, the first thing is a video uh, live stream uh, special that I'm doing. Uh, hello again. Uh, in case you're not familiar with who I am, I am Carla Gilar, one of the principal founders of the Constitution Project, also known as the Urban Roamer and the guy from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So, uh, welcome everyone to who are watching to this live stream. Uh, Today's a special uh, uh, event that uh, I'm doing here. Uh, right uh, in a short while, I will be having as a guest a fellow advocate for constitutional reform. Uh, actually, uh, she's a good friend of mine. I've known her for quite some time as part of the correct movement of. Orion Perez Dumdum. Uh, she's an active uh, constitutional reform advocate, and uh, I'm going to uh, uh, have her in a few moments as we will be discussing actually this uh, because uh, just to give you a background, back in 2019, actually it was uh, shortly before and. A short time after the 2019 elections, me and this friend of mine were actually invited to be part of the discussions by the Department of the Interior and Local Government with regards to the constitutional reform campaign, which was still then in full swing. And the reason for that was there were these discussions were for the improvement of the, if you remember, the Bayanihan draft done by the former Chief Justice Reynato Puno and his uh, Puno Commission. So the aim of those uh, sessions by the DILG was to find ways to improve on that draft. And some of us from the correct movement were actually invited to help out in the draft. So uh, anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring my guest in, and her name is Tara Polo. Hello, Tara. Hello. Hi, Carl. Nice to see you again. Hello, comrades. Nice. Good evening, everyone. Hello. Hello. So, Hello, everyone. Thank, thank you so much for having me, Carl. Not a problem. So, um, Anyway, first things first, uh, I'd like to know, how did you get, uh, how did you come to know the 
constitutional reform movement uh, and the advocacy? How did you, how, how were you introduced to it? So as many of our comrades in the group probably know, um, I was a very strong Duterte supporter in 2015. Uh, it was a few years after Yolanda hit my region. And I was pretty determined to get the Liberal Party out of office. And I was trying to, basically I was trying to find different reasons why that party was no good anymore. And I was trying to justify my support for um, Duterte during that time. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I saw this video of a guy in glasses standing beside a window pane, <laughs> glass window, and he was, you know, ranting about race po because it was, I think it was during the middle of the campaign he was doing that and he said that he was in france he was speaking in Cebuay native language and mm -hmm. i thought the video was actually pretty funny and pretty spot on at the same time and it the idea why i should vote for duterte but later on this guy explained one of the platforms of Duterte during that time, which was reform. And I never really had about political systems, administrative systems before. I really didn't care much about that. I was just determined just, you know, just to change the leaders um, up there and not really care about what's happening below. Uh, so I was very inspired. And this guy, of course, is Orion. <laughs> Orion Perez Dung, he's an IT project manager in Singapore, and he's a very strong advocate. And that's when I found out about Correct, and that's when I started reading about constitutional reform. There was a, a uh, Facebook group, and there was some people there sharing articles, links, and everything, and uh, you know, from then on, I became a very strong advocate. I educated myself um, about constitutional reform because I know that I cannot just simply question the reform agenda without knowing what I'm asking about. <laughs> so um, that was really my experience in uh, correct movement. Yes. So I would record that happened in around 2016, right? During the last presidential elections. Yes, maybe late 2016 or early 2017. Yes, I think. Mm -hmm. hmm, okay. And was it uh, uh, having learned you know, the importance of constitutional reform uh did it uh in a way change uh your perception of things before like uh in what uh, i guess what i'm asking is how what way has the understanding of constitutional reform changed the way you thought of mm -hmm. the way things are in the philippines and what needed or what needs to be done 
I subscribe to the idea of constitutional reform is for term extension before mm -hmm. I studied uh, the agenda of the correct movement because I was really, you know, into the Marcos versus Aquino uh, fight and that anything um, Aquino or is not good and perhaps also anything Marcos is not good. So um, I really didn't have any idea about it. And then what changed actually, Carl, is not only was I informed that our country really needed constitutional reform, but it changed how I viewed how people function. It actually um, opened my eyes that psychology, which is part of what this movie is all about, you know, changing the behavior of people um, through incentives, rewards, and punishments. Um, it really opened my eyes to, you know, how people can be disciplined, how people's behaviors can be shaped, um, why people don't want to change, or why people are so comfortable with being miserable. So, yes, I guess it's a more system-based approach in the science way compared to before. That it was just basically personality politics instead mm -hmm. of, you know, like what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very eloquent way of saying it. <laughs> Uh, uh, would you consider yourself to be a politic uh, has I guess what I'm trying to ask is is the understanding of constitutional reform made you more vocal or more uh, affected uh, with uh, more involved in political affairs than before or did it or was it the same, only with a different understanding? Well, because of the opportunities that were given to me by the correct movement, it actually gave me the courage to talk to, even at least to the local politicians in my municipality about mm -hmm. system change and better management. Um, because the culture in the correct movement is we do our research before we before we open our mouths. So I'm, I became so confident about spreading the word of constitutional reform because, you know, I had the facts, I had the data, our group has collated all of it and uh, we're ready to like on anybody who's willing to, you know, attack our um, stand regarding constitutional reform. And I became, yeah, I became involved in the sense that, that you and I um, share this to our audience right now that um, actually in 2019, as Carl has mentioned, he, Jan, Peter, and myself were sent to represent the correct movement in the DILG, Interagency Task Force for Constitutional Reform and Federalism. And it was in DILG Napolcom in... I don't know what city that was. City. <laughs> Where was that? City. City. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's how that's how ignorant I am of the you know the the Metro Manila map. Because <laughs> I've really been there a lot. 
So, yeah, and it was a it was an eye-opening experience for me and I was just so happy that um you were there and Jan was there. We were just so informed. We were we were ready to bring in the facts to uh, give the ideas of correctable to the point that we almost got into an argument with two of the uh delegates there <laughs> they were pretty old people but just focused on getting everything done instead of go going through the nitty gritties of the uh, proposal mm -hmm. so i think that yeah. was something that um it was the bad part of the experience but later on i think of course these arguments bring in the good results so i think later on I'll, some of them realized that yeah maybe we have the good ideas with us. So, yeah, in that sense, I was involved uh, more with politics. And I, I, and I was happy that um, you were there and John was there as mm, well. Thanks. thanks. Yeah. Um, I have to, speaking from personal experience, so, um, even before I was uh, aware of the things going on politically, mm -hmm. but before I came to understand constitutional reform, my worldview was limited uh, in the sense that, you know, um, you don't know what, what, what else is out there uh, mm -hmm. as to the possible solutions the, that are to the problems uh, we are facing as a country. And ever since I became knowledgeable of the constitutional reform. Uh, I guess you can say that my political awareness has matured, that I have begun to look beyond personalities and realize that the greater fight is not, it's not for this or for this, uh, fighting for this person or that person, but the fight to, uh, reforming or making change possible through the constitution and the fact that there are many policymakers here or influ even influential people who are not cognizant of the need of constitutional reform. Sometimes it just makes your blood boil, if you know what I mean. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And now we are segueing to that uh, experience in 2019 um actually to share that is the that was the first and so far the closest opportunity i've had of interacting with government on a more active level so it was a you can say surreal experience for me and uh, because of the nature of these discussions, it's something that I haven't been able to freely share, except for, you know, hints, you know, guys and all that. Um, but uh, to start, I just want to ask you, how did you, how did you become involved with, uh, how did you, how you joined the discussions in the DILG? What, what, what was the story behind that? Well, if we just go back to the beginning, it started when I volunteered to create social media content for, for the correct movement. Um, I started with my page, which was Federal Parliament FDI. 
And then I moved on to put in my work in the correct movement page itself. And then perhaps there was built, you know, there was trust built between Orion and myself uh, because during, uh, well, Orion still, we, we vet everything through Orion because he's the one who has done all the research. He's the one who's got the data and, and all of that. So um, I guess Orion was confident enough to recommend me to represent correct in um, the DILG. I was basically honored because I really didn't think that somebody like myself from a very poor region who lived so far away from um, QC, I really didn't think I'd be able to get the chance to talk to a former DILG secretary, a DILG undersecretary and people like that. I didn't, I didn't think I would reach that point, but I was just so happy for the opportunity and I wasn't really focused on the fact that, oh, you know, I, I should put this on my bucket list or, you know, I should tell my friends about this. But I was more focused on getting the message to the people who actually need to hear the message and who, who had access to the people who would change, who would actually bring forth the proposal to change the constitution. So. I, I guess I would agree to what you said, that it was the closest <laughs> that we were able to get to the people who were going to influence the future constitutional framers. So I would hope we'd have that opportunity soon. It doesn't matter if it has to be online because of COVID or they would you know get us to go back to QC again or somewhere and... Um, it's fine with me as long as they would just hear us, you know, they, they would debate us. This is what I want, Carl. I'd want those people to debate us because I really don't want us to just be, you know, part of the panel and just a speech. Uh, am I, am I making sense? <laughs> you know, yes, like yeah, yes, yes. they just, yeah, they just want to hear what we have to say. But they're not really interested in challenging what we're saying in a, in a face-off debate. And that's what I want because the point of us being there was to actually convince them of the ideas that we were, we were um, presenting to the panel. And um, I'd hope someday that they would consider us again and they would not think of us ad ad as adversaries or obstacles to to you know constitutional reform instead they would view us as resource persons who come from the electorate you know cuz they they don't really need those experts the experts who are scared to to say something in front of everybody sila or you know they would don't want to offend other people but for me i i don't really care because I don't know those people. I don't care if I offend them. What I'm just interested in is for them to, you know, hear what correct movement has to say. And if it's a best practice, it's a best practice, period. That's what I'd like to, you know, let them know. Yeah. Yeah, let, we'll be uh, touching on those uh, points of uh, 
dissension. Uh, yung that's a bit. <laughs> dissension talaga. But yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but first, uh, this is my opportunity to share my experience. Uh, yeah, it was uh, how I got involved in the DILG talk was was an in- invitation from Orion because uh, from what I learned, Uh, there were already discussions happening before 2019, and Orion were was already part of those discussions uh, when he was on vacation in the Philippines. And then what happened was uh, there were continuing discussions on through 2019. I think it was was it uh, March when they began, March 2019 or February. I'm not sure. I don't quite remember the month anymore. But yeah, it was on the first and or second quarter of that year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, so Orion was not able to come anymore because of work. So he sent out an open invitation to select uh, members of the Correct Movement, myself included, as uh, there's Tara and... Jan Reiter, uh, you may know him on Facebook. He was part of those uh, discussions as well. There was also Dominic Solpico, mm-hmm. who, what you call Carilievo from time to time, as well as Ma- uh, Madison as well, I think a couple of times. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, at the very least, uh, the correct movement as we had a, uh, We were very much uh, actively participating in the discussions. So, uh, among the people who was uh, were part of that uh, review committee, um, there was uh, there was Vincent Reville. Uh, I think he's a former congressman from I think it was Masbate or, Rom- or Romblon. Can't remember. Uh, yes. There was also, yeah, I forgot the name already. Uh, uh, there was also Professor Julio Tinghanki, uh, who you may be seeing quite uh, a, a, a lot lately. Uh, mm-hmm. He's being interviewed so much these days. Um, there was also... I remember the name, but now I forgot this name. Uh, was the old? Uh, was the old guy not Oliver? Was the other? I mentioned the it, but now Mon I Yeah, Mon Casiple. Yeah, and then the two of them who are sad was sadly uh, left this earth early this year. Uh, Professor Alfred Soreta. And uh, Professor Ga- Professor Gary Olivar. Uh, I'm not really familiar with Soreta's work, but Olivar, he is the member of the Foundation for Economic Freedom, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. He was also involved in the constitutional reform talks during the time of uh, President Arroyo, from what I know. So... Uh, Yeah, so those were, uh, at one point there was, uh, you were not there, but I saw 
coming in, participating in the discussions, uh, former Congressman Gary Tevez was mm-hmm. there uh, in one of those mm-hmm. discussions. Yeah. But uh, it was the, the ILG forum was organized by the office of Undersecretary Jonathan Malaya. He was the undersecretary who was tasked to uh, handle the constitutional reform federalism campaign of the government in the DILG level. So he came. Uh, he came in once uh, during the discussions. He wasn't uh, really part of the, but he is the overall head, from what I know. He doesn't really. He didn't uh, join in the discussions. Uh, they really did visit us that one time. I think mm. I have a. I think I was part of a group photo. Uh, when when Mala, it was at the time Malaya visited, taken by. Actually, she was in the news. Astra Naik, who was recently, <laughs> uh, kicked out of PDP Laban for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, first things first, uh, what were your memories of some of the people that you, um, not without talking yet about the more contentious political thoughts, um, your personal recollections of the people you met there at the DILG? I was very surprised that they were very accommodating. Um, mm-hmm. The thought that I was walking into the DILG IATF, I was thinking that they were going to look for, for delegates who had uh, the credentials related to political science and the analysis of politics in order to activate about reform. Um, so I was, my thoughts would be rejected by the people, but Later on, I realized that, you know, it's very good that um, I was able to talk to them because they were very welcoming of uh, my ideas uh, regarding constitutional reform. Yeah. Okay. So I think Carl is... Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I was... Yeah. I was very happy that they were very accommodating with my um, ideas. Um, to to be honest with you, I was very terrified because I was thinking that they would show me out of the room and um, tell me, "Oh, you're just uh, an ordinary, you know, um, indai," and then you just don't join us because you don't have any background with, you know, in your your education regarding political system. So I was scared that they would reject our ideas because of that. But later on, I was, I was just happy that they were accommodating our um, ideas in, in the panel. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's the same for me. I was, at first, the thought of, you know, being with these uh uh illustrious uh you know uh you know men of you know 
I may be saying flowery, but that's how I felt it. I felt intimidated uh, at first that I would be, you know, that poor old me who's perhaps his only claim to fame is being like a pop show, game show uh, winner would be rubbing elbows, so to speak, with, you know, people who are, you know, have this wide depth of political, you know, legal knowledge but yeah i was surprised that they were welcoming to us and i remember fondly uh the late sir gary olivar calling to us as calling us as fellow rightists if you remember <laughs> the young right wingers <laughs> right wingers yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and so i think uh i'd like to think that they were uh they were endeared to us despite of our they might say radical uh politic uh radical ideas regarding you know governance and politics and constitutional reform as a whole uh, at the very least i think they respected us as equals and not as people underneath them uh um though we never got to sadly we never got to interact as much as we would like but the you know from interacting with them on the floor debating with some aspects uh for me that was an eye opener and in a way some of their ideas uh, also influenced me Uh, like I remember Gary Olivar's uh, proposal of limiting holidays to, I think, 12 uh, holidays in a year. Uh, that was something that stuck, uh, stuck out to me. And, How many holidays do we have now? 15, 16, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that as well. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Now that the uh, good memory, uh, the pleasant uh, memories are uh, out of the way, so to speak, let's now go to the contentious parts <laughs> of the <laughs> of the discussion. So, I think the yes, the uh, the most heavily debated during those DILG sessions was the part about political dynasties so and uh absolutely especially you i remember uh, you were very uh you had very we had a very spirited discussion especially with like with sir with gary olivar and montasiple uh the others as well so share us what uh what you remember about those discussions And also share what we've been, what we as uh, reform advocates are fighting about with regards to political dynasties. Absolutely. So the first thing that stuck out to me regarding this dynasty debate is that it was actually being used as a bargaining chip by mm. the people that we were debating with and discussing with so they can sell this to Congress because... 
people in Congress and people in the Senate or any person or any, any politician who was um, advocating for constitutional reform were presenting themselves as part of the heroes, you know, heroes league of uh, like they're presenting themselves like we're the people who are out there to, you know, go after those political dynasties, the corrupt people and things like that. And that they think that if they include the political dynasty ban and the regulation, it would be more acceptable to the people because the people themselves have this misconception that the dynasties are the root cause of corruption and most of the political problems in the Philippines. So um, the, my, impre my impression about that was I, I was disappointed because I did not think that they were using the right provision as the bargaining chip or the selling point of the constitutional reform proposal. I think they should have used another, you know, part of the constitution in order to sell it to, to the masses. I didn't have any idea which provision um, we should sell to the masses, but I certainly didn't believe that the dynasty regulation or the dynasty ban was going to be a good bargaining chip to the people. And then in my view, I really thought that it was defeatist and being, I'm not saying they're intellectually dishonest, but they're, I, I don't know what's the word, Carl, maybe you have a better word for it in Tagalog. Yung, you're, they're like going with the flow. Uh, this is what the people want, so let's give it to them so we can just insert this and that provision into the constitutional reform agenda. So it, it was a defeatist you know, approach for me, and I thought it was very wrong. There was a professor there whom I was a friend. We're now friends on Facebook, but I really forgot his name. And he and I were on the same page regarding the dynasty issue that, you know, we're not supposed to we're not supposed to be acting like we're the ones who are begging for mercy here. Because basically what he was saying was that the Duterte administration was the winning faction. And there shouldn't be any kind of bargaining about it. So they were just basically, they, they did acknowledge that, I think they, they, they thought about this deep within themselves that banning political dynasties was essentially against the spirit of democracy, but because of the time constraint and because of the ignorance of most people about the effects of restrictions in elections, so they just decided to just put a dynasty clause and just get on with the rest of the provision. So I thought that was, it was a bad thing. Hmm. Anyway, just to I get to enlighten some people, why are why are political dynasties not necessarily a good thing? What I mean for some for some it, they argue that you know it giving opportunities to others because right now 
the you know the politics uh, in the country is governed by few people and their families. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with controlling? I guess some would consider like controlling greed or something like that, and giving yes, opportunities to the less advantaged. But what is wrong with that? How? I guess that would be their uh, counter-argument. Yes, um, we actually had uh, an answer prepared for that, but I guess they were not ready to listen to it. So the first tier of the answer is actually banning political dynasties is against the, the basic spirit of democracy. You are taking away the right of the voters to vote for who they want if that person also wants to run for office, you are taking away the right of that person to run for office. So basically, we're going to have a decreased level of democracy when you when you implement a dynasty ban or dynasty regulation. Um, the second thing is that in a, in, in a philosophical argument, in a, in a basic analysis of A and B here, there comes the basic question of, are you 100% sure that all political dynasties are corrupt and incompetent? And the answer to that is no, because there are a lot of areas that have dynasties that are able to lift the uh, economic status of their um, constituencies um, through their own political strategies, and they could have cheated their way through it, but perhaps the people continue to vote for them for their dynasty because of a certain level of satisfaction for those people. And perhaps the third level of that answer was the data that I presented to our panelists, the data that came from Yuko Kasia and Pablo Kerubin, where they actually mentioned that Political dynasties did not come about because we did not have a restriction. Because that that was the idea. They were thinking, or many people are thinking that, oh, we have a lot of dynasties because we don't have a restriction. Or we have a lot of dynasties because we don't have a dynasty ban. And that's absolutely wrong. According to the study by Dr. Yuko Kasia and Dr. Pablo Kerubin, the political dynasties came about because of at least three factors, and that is the wealth or the economy of the area. Second is the politics, the kind of politics that they have. Perhaps it's a more exclusive kind of politics. And um, the third is, uh, so the economy, the politics, and the central control of the, um, the area, I mean to say who, who gets to say what. And because of that, these politicians were able to stay in politics, and I'm sorry, I failed to mention term limits is also one of the reasons why political dynasties came about or became fat dynasties. So that goes to the next part of the debate or the discussion where I mentioned why are we talking about a dynasty ban if the cause of the dynasties is not the absence of a dynasty ban? That was what I was trying to tell them. Um, Carl, in experimentation or at least in the medical field, um, I work in a hospital right now. And if we look at the patient and if we see the patient, the patient isn't breathing well, 
we don't just give that patient oxygen. We we look at the positioning of the patient, what what what's the underlying cause of the the problem. It's not it's not like you're just going to give that person oxygen and that person is just going to breathe normally. No, that's not how it works. You have to like look into the the other uh, the deeper causes of why that thing is happening to that person and that's the same with political dynasty so many people just don't understand they just won't accept that political dynasties has a, a different complex cause it's not at, as easy as a dynasty ban and yeah your thoughts on this would be <laughs> you are so friendly <laughs> so i think <laughs> I don't know how they talk to you about this, but I certainly thought they didn't like me because I myself live in a region that is plagued with political dynasties. And I know that banning them is not going to uh, make this issue go away. Yeah. Um, I was uh, admittedly more of a, you know, because it by my nature personally I'm not really a combative person. <laughs> uh but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that I you know I'm just accepting it. Uh it's just that uh in those discussions uh Tara was very for someone who has little to no experience about, you know, you know, political matters or the way things go in politics, she was very well versed that uh so I'm guilty in thinking that ah she can handle it <laughs> whenever those uh, discussions. <laughs> well, Carl, if you weren't there, if you and John weren't there, I don't think I would have the courage to. It's still like uh, you know, tropa. I still need you guys <laughs> to to do it. I wouldn't have had the uh the courage to do it. So yeah, it it's it was still a team effort. We were like whispering to each other, you know. <laughs> Yeah, what yeah. is this? What is that? <laughs> you know, because of our, you know, we. I think only Jan was the the most qualified. Jan and Madison. Madison is a, a part of DOH, I think. So, or mm. PGH. So, I think both of them are actually heavily qualified to debate about the system. But, you know, I guess I was just carrying the fact that my region was hit by Yolanda and it exposed. The systemic problems of our constitution so it's just you know i i think anybody who is affected or governed by the constitution should be qualified enough to to debate about it or to discuss about it because it governs my life my family my job oh my gosh the constitution is written all over the hospital that i'm working in right now so i i just I want to say that um, there is a reason why people like myself who are from poor regions would feel so strongly if there are some people who would just, you know, retract their statements or suddenly will not debate about these things because of the fear of rejection by the Congress or something like that. So I was just, you know having all these feelings in my head, you know, Carl, flashbacks of dead bodies, you know, in Tacloban and all of that. So it's just, it was just very, also a little bit emotional for me. 
uh, during that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we mentioned about the Constitution affects all of us. I guess that is uh, the you know, we've been criticizing the 1987 Constitution, but one of the key criticisms of that Constitution is that it was made uh, with a very mm-hmm. limited mindset. Most of the framers were lawyers or those with legal education. It mm-hmm. They were very... They're not... Uh, of course, there were main academics, but there were few people from, you know, from the, you know, the middle class the uh, technocrats they were not well represented and that is which as a result we had this we have this constitution which is too legalistic and you know doesn't take into consideration it only took into consideration the uh, legalities but not the other aspects right. which uh-huh. uh which is why we are in this messed up situation that we have right now so yeah, so, there is. Uh, I, guess. I have a theory that they should have had a behavioral scientist or a psychologist present during those sessions, because as the constitution is, it is a framework or it is a fence of how people are going to operate in this country, mm-hmm. and thereby will govern or will shape. The behavior of those people, and and a lot, I know a lot of people will not accept this, but the behavior of so many Filipinos right now is actually because of the constitution. Basically, the constitution is the one of the root causes of our behaviors in the Philippines: complacency, laziness, hopeless, you know, uh, tendency towards crime, and you know, tendency of turning towards fixers and uh, you know, wanting to get instant cash, you know, things like that. So there's a lot of those behaviors that came from the Constitution. And um, I think that's where the constitutional framers really fell short of when they created the Constitution. They should have consulted behavioral scientists and psychologists about this because they, the uh, or even human resource managers, because they would actually have an idea the outcome of a certain restriction or provision when it is actually being implemented in in ano uh, in the in the real world they also i think they didn't also have empirical data everything was being debated in a philosophical manner like if a is not b is like you know it's like that like it, they're not looking into just like our debate in DILG, um, Mon was Mon Casiple was actually talking about some statistics in Latin American countries, and I think Gary Oliver was also talking about some statistics in the United States um, or in Canada. So I think that was a very fruitful discussion as compared to if a is not b or is not c you know it's not it's really not going to help you know in that discussion and and that's why you know that it's one of the things that really pisses me off thinking about the constitutional framers um regarding this and and look what happened you know like they just use philosophy just to frame the constitution 
and now they're they they have this situation where a former president is now going to be a vice president right so it's it's just so disappointing they were like viewed as the hope of the nation and then suddenly it came to this right now and you know with all this all this crap happening in our po- uh, politics and all the you know all the people saying that they were going to fault the constitution these framers are i don't know if they're short-sighted or sorry to say stupid or blind or whatever that they still insist that the 1987 constitution is the best in the world my gosh exactly <laughs> And uh, there's a lot of uh, stupidity being uh, spread around by these people saying that, oh, the constitution is not the reason why this and this country is rich. Their constitutions are not the reason. And they, they keep, you know, they, they keep shutting out people like Dr. Clarita Carlos, who actually talked about social engineering or behavioral science as part of the discipline that was being used to analyze why other countries have such wealth and have such low levels of corruption, they, they keep ignoring her and, and people like her who like to talk about um, behavioral science or, you know, like psychology, like what, what, what incentives and what rewards or punishments do these um, citizens have in a constitution like this and how is it different with a constitution like that so i think yeah i think there's or maybe there's they're too narcissistic like they want to be the justice league of the philippines (laughs) or the avengers like we're the ones who saved you so you owe your life to us and don't change that thing that we created or we will you know will attack you or something like that. So, yeah, it's a mix of that. Stupidity and, you know, being narcissistic will also make a person stupid because they would not think about the consequences of their actions, you know, how it affects other people. They just concentrate on themselves. Oh, I'm a constitutional framer and, you know, the constitution is the best in the world. So what? It it didn't work. Um and that's something um, that we need to. And by the way, Carl, I want to share with you today. I have, you know, I I attended our daily uh, board exam review class, and our instructor was. I think he he was a an Osmania um, appointee in Cebu uh, before. So I really uh, don't have anything him. against his. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, Carl? Sorry. Sorry. Lito or Tommy? Uh, Tommy. Tommy. Lito ah. hasn't been in politics for, I think, a very long time already. And yeah. Lito and Tommy are also politically, political enemies. Yeah, political enemies. Yeah, that's what so, I heard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so the topic was nursing and jurisprudence, ethics and law, you know. Uh, malpractice and um, assault and battery and all that cases and judges and and you know what 
what you could be sued for. So he came to the Constitution, he talked about the Bill of Rights, and then he just touched on a little bit about the topic that we are sensitive about, which is constitutional reform. <laughs> so <laughs> I just stopped myself. Pinipigilan ko talagang sarili ko. I don't want to cause a ruckus in that class. So I didn't say anything. But what he said was, it's not a good thing to tinker with the constitution right now because it hasn't been fully implemented. And the you know, correctors, if you're watching this right now, you know the answer to that objection, right? You know the answer to that objection. What do we say if somebody says, don't change the constitution because it hasn't been fully implemented? What we say is, because it hasn't been fully implemented, we have to change it because it's not a self-executory or self-implementing constitution it doesn't allow itself to be implemented and you know mind blown ang mangyayari sa kanila they don't get that oh it's the people and things like that so you know the objections that we we get mm. so yeah it's um, it's very disheartening i feel so i feel so strongly about this you know why don't people accept empirical data you know why why is it so why are they so allergic about this and they're so scared that other people will not accept uh, the empirical data like if somebody would come here right now and tell us that the astronauts have found that the sun is a square and and you know the the astronauts have taken pictures and they have evidence and things like that I mean, we believe those people in NASA, right? So why, you know, it's just so confusing for me. There's evidence already. Why should we reject it? I think it's still uh, something that I struggle to, to comprehend. And I struggle being nice to these people, especially Monsod. If I ever talk to him, I don't know what I will do, you know. I think I will lash out at him. So please don't let me face him <laughs> because I'm one of those people in those areas who were affected by this um, stupidity that they did to, to the Constitution. So, yeah. You know, with all this, you know, this uh, uh, negative... Uh, attacks against constitutional reform on a personal level does it do you find it sometimes you know tired of doing this advocacy sometimes yes i think about the hopelessness of you know i i think that the philippines is hopeless and that the people are never going to see the benefits of constitutional reform but then i think about orion i think about ruben canoy i think about nur miswari and murad ibrahim and you know i i can see that they did make progress however little um in the bangsamoro region so if they can do it then you know i'll just i'll just get up and <laughs> 
find find the strength to continue as long as I have the materials I'll try to contribute as much as I can to constitutional reform however little it may be but it's so tiring you know it's exhausting Carl if you debate with people who are out of touch with reality you know it's like arguing with a flat earther no oh, the earth is flat the earth is flat and I went around the world, the earth is flat. You know, things like that. So it's it's so, you know, frustrating. Uh in in the hospital, for example, a uh, a patient would say that, Oh, uh, I'm not going to drink that medicine because it will cause this and that, you know, and it's totally contrary to the research, the pharmaceutical research that has been done regarding that. So it's very frustrating um, sometimes. But yeah, we just move on and try to <laughs> do what we can do. Chaka mag, they demand pa ha? They demand that we be friendly. Did you notice that? Wag daw tayong maging nasty, be respectful daw. Tayo pa, tayo pa ang naging disrespectful. Diba? Naka-afford pa ang mga walang hiya na ganyan. <laughs> Diba? Yeah. So you're equating ate. <laughs> I, I can't really mention. So can we say that those against reforms are like the equivalent of flat earthers, anti-vaxxers, uh, <laughs> those who believe in the those fairy. <laughs> the, those who believe in the ano, kapre, manananggal, <laughs> na na if you have pneumonia, you just go to the nuno ng punso, and I don't know, para silang ganun talaga, yung, I don't know, they're just so difficult to deal with, and and I think we discussed about this, that there's a certain uh, sense of pride or a cognitive bias because they want to anchor, they want to anchor their beliefs on their experience. Tapos, if there is evidence that what they think is wrong, and then sasabihin nila na ano, no, it's wrong because my experience is like, parang ganun. They, it's a ano, confirmation bias. Ang tawag dyan, parang, it's a, it's a kind of cognitive bias na, no, that thing is wrong because my experience is like this. No, I never saw it like that. I, it's different in my perception. Parang ganun yung... They're, they're saying that it's the data is wrong. My gosh. And the data that we even presented are data from the United Nations, the World Bank, ASEAN, Transparency International, uh, The Economist. And these people have the gall to say that the data is wrong? Nah. Just go. Ah, blood pressure. Just go. Na, na high blood ako sa mga taong ganyan. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, let's go back to the experience at the the DILG. Um, you were you had to leave by you know, I remember you had to leave. Like, was it May or June that you had to leave? So after that, it was me and the others who you know participated in the discussions. So, uh. What was the last? Uh, did you get any 
like updates after you left uh, with regards to what was going on uh, beyond to beyond what we've uh, uh, what we gave during the during at least during this period that we were invited um forgive me for the noise the the yeah. curfew okay. siren is uh, on but um i think i received the last update i got was from miss aquino miss aquino bayon um she sent me the rough draft proposal that was supposed to be submitted to congress and um you know it it had some blanks oh no it was you it was you i didn't receive any updates after that mm. carl i just brought the print out and then and then you did uh you did another set of sessions with dominic and madison yeah. i think and then after that, I received now the emails from you. I didn't receive updates from them anymore. And then I got reprimanded <laughs> online because I was, you know, I was ranting about this, you know, defeatist um, stance by, you know, Dr. Tihanki regarding term limits and dynasties. And I thought they were being, I don't know, maybe to the point of, displaying a kind of intellectual dishonesty na, you know let's put term limits because ganon they were defending it na because uh, it was being accepted into the proposal but later on pala he he put out a study that term limits are not good so parang ganon i i was just being uh, i was just so confused about what to feel about these people but yeah um i think um I didn't get any other communication from from Tess. Si Tess ba yun? Anong pangalan ni, ni Ma'am? I think it was Tess. Yeah. yeah. Tet yeah. o oh, Tet. Yeah. Tet pala. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, we'll get to that, uh, those disagreements. Um, but just to give you an idea, so the fruit of the discussions at IDILG was that they reworked the Bayanihan draft and actually it has not been published anywhere in public so i really cannot say if uh cannot i don't know if i uh, how what extent i could share about the changes they made with that mm -hmm. dilg draft i'm not even sure if there were even changes uh made after our participation but basically, mm -hmm. the DILG draft uh, changed the form of government because the Bayanihan draft originally was a presidential system. But when we at the DILG did the uh, revisions, it was reverted back to the semi-presidential system that was originally proposed in the PDP Laban draft. So mm -hmm. that was uh, adopted. That that as far as I can say. Um, as far as the uh, the economic provisions, the six the 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 sixty forty that was uh, in place in the Bayanihan draft that was gone too, thanks to mm -hmm. the late Sir Gary Oliver who was really pushing for it. Uh, so that was gone in the DILG draft. Mm -hmm. um, there were some changes, I think, with the setup of the federalism, but I'm 
can't really say what were changed since uh, there may have been some changes along the way. And the information I have not may not be accurate. And I'm not even sure mm-hmm. if uh, uh, how much I'll be able to say. Although one thing I can reveal is that the with regards to federalism, the Mandana's ruling that you won the Supreme Court, that was uh, incorporated in the DILG draft. Uh, mm, yeah. And then the in the with regards to the judiciary, the uh, the Bayanihan draft actually called for three high courts, which was the Supreme Court, Constitutional Court, administrative court and the uh, I think there was also an electoral court I'm not can't really can't yeah there was yeah yeah mm-hmm. so the, uh, in the DILG draft uh, it was whittled down to two which was the Supreme Court and the Constitutional Court so that mm. was the and so that was uh Another change there. Um, so actually, to uh, to put it another way, actually, the what the DILG draft became basically a was a PDP Laban draft. Uh, uh, basically, yeah. the PDP Laban draft with some additions from the uh, Bayanihan draft by the Pudo Commission, but most of it is actually PDP Laban. Uh, if you get the opportunity to see the document, unfortunately, there um, um, our last participation uh, with us in the movement uh, in the DILG discussions was at June 2019, and after um, what was supposed to happen was that there would be the draft would be finalized and then presented to other government heads. But mm. were government uh, discussions already, so we were not privy to them anymore. So it's more of internal matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, there was some um, uh, in one of the uh, final sessions. I was actually reprimanded by Tolivar and Tihanki for. Uh, in the middle of the discussions, I think the one you pointed out with regards to the, in relation to that, about the, uh, we are post. I think they, yeah, yeah, mm. I was, uh, uh, I was surprised when they called my intention because normally I don't really, you know, get their attention, but in that rare opportunity they did was, uh, yeah. And that's because uh, partly by your post and I think Orion's as well. Though I can't really Mm-mm-mm. remember any more the details. Yeah. But that was really, uh, to put it uh, in the vernacular, Yeah, that was. And beyond that, I never, and those, that final sessions in June, I never had any uh, mm-hmm. updates on that anymore. I actually tried to message uh, Sir Gary Oliver for any updates, 
and Ade have really made a friend request, but sadly, uh, he was uh, he never got to accept my request until I learned that mm. he died. Uh, the uh, yeah last month. So actually, it was a I would have wanted to interview him for this podcast. You know, get his insights about the his involvement with the reform movement. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was a very sudden passing. Or, uh, were you shocked uh, as well with the passing of Sir Gary, as well as with Professor Alfred, who I also did not expect to have uh, passed uh, early this year. True. So, Carl, please uh, forgive me if you got reprimanded because of my post, and uh, yeah, it's okay. never did I have the intention of you know putting you in the spot um, regarding that. And uh, you know how our group is the uh, moderated public forum was created as a pigsty, as a wrestling octagon, you know, like a venue for fighting and debating and things like mm-hmm. that, and. The General Assembly was, so we, uh, our secret group was supposed to be the place where we share our files and our ideas and things like that. So, um, at for, uh, you know, I did not expect that the academics would be that affected or should I say just onion-skinned regarding this um, particular um, topic because um, for me... You know, we're we're just saying that, I you know I I was a I was a Duterte supporter before, and um, people are saying that uh, people from the opposition were saying that oh Duterte should not be onion skinned, if people will insult him, you know he should not file a case or he should not rant about it, and then, you know I I experience it firsthand that if I criticize an academic. You know, all of a sudden they would lash at me and uh, things like that, which I don't really mind. You know, because uh, those things don't really their 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 um, counter attacks don't really affect me. But what I'm just really um, worried about is that they do not accept um, criticism, or maybe they will accept criticism, but they just want it to be given to them in a in a nice manner and um, they keep forgetting about this and I've told them about this in our DILG sessions that these topics that we are discussing in the DILG uh, constitutional reform panel these are not ordinary light things you know these are things that affect people's lives these are the things that will chart the economic path of the Philippines for the next 30 years because that's how we usually <laughs> would change or talk about change. So that's what I told them. Like, if people would get angry, it is justified. That That is justified. You, we, we should be able to understand if, if we don't go federal, if we don't go parliamentary, if we don't open up to FDI and some Filipinos get angry, their anger is justified. Dapat maintindihan natin yan because 
that means less opportunities to go into political office, less opportunities to get better jobs, less opportunities to grow your own region, to develop your own region. Their their anger is justified. So anyway, wala lang pina pinalampas ko lang yun and uh, I thought that it was just, you know, something that they should not be angry about because, you know, their documents, their research, their dissertations, they are being shared in public. So if people like myself, I don't have polit polit political science background, if people like myself will read their dissertations and I would think that their papers don't make sense, then they should not be angry. They should be, you know, they should be patient enough to defend themselves because their papers will affect me my life because their their research will affect the very constitution that affects my life so for me um academics should not be on your skin this is what you got into so you should not be very kanang ano affected if some people were, will criticize you so for example car i'll tell you about my my adventures in social media <laughs> ronald u mendoza published a paper with i don't know cruz uh, where they said that um, they acknowledged Pablo Kerubin's data where it said, uh, I mean his paper, where it said that term limits exacerbate dynasties. Term limits worsen dynasties. And then later on, at, at the conclusion part, Ro, uh, Mendoza said, we should not remove term limits. Rather, we should put safeguards he just mentioned in the previous chapters that term limits exacerbate or worsen dynasties. And then the conclusion, it did not, parang ganun, it, it did not make sense for me. Like, are these people really academics? You know, I'm not a professional, but I think there should be very simple, ano, ganun, if, if, this A is like this, then parang ganun dapat. So anyway, uh, just a message. So Gabi is here and uh, he's one of our um, very in intelligent correctors. Hmm? Yeah. Um, I'm telling you guys, uh, Gabi, if, uh, if ever you get any criticism for any papers, I, I, I just want to say that it should be an opportunity for academics to to rethink their papers or, you know, recheck their papers because your papers for people like you who are in this profession, um, in political science, your research is going to help us a lot. Like if you, if you discover something that causes a problem in our society and you find the root cause, it's going to help our country a lot. As long as you find what that problem is like, the most important guy or one of the most important guys in a call center is the IT technician. Kasi he will find the, you know, yeah. the problem uh, if the system is bugged down, diba? So you're just as important as the people implementing the constitution. So I really encourage you guys to, to you know, get critic uh, criticism and things like that. So I really apologize, Carl, if you... <laughs> Ikaw yung naka-receive ng, <laughs> ng reprimand uh, during that time. But yeah, it's not really my intention. My intention was 
to clear up the communication and and also to clean up the provisions of the proposal kasi masyadong ano masyadong kalat yung proposal during that time so yeah that was my my feeling yeah um one thing that stuck out to me during that moment was uh it's not exactly what they said but they made it feel that I or the movement as a whole, the Kui correctors, we were there in the first place because of them, because of those people in the mm. study group. So I guess uh, trying to put something like utang na loob and, you know, be thankful to us that, and that I think it, they feel that, no, we gave, I think their thinking was, We gave you this opportunity, and look what you did to us in return. I guess that's what they were thinking at that time. Although in my head, I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" I mean, I, just, I would say uh, the same thing. Like, what was that all about? You know, I, I even until now, I was I'm still puzzled as to why they singled me out like that because of what you did, which. Was it wasn't it wasn't that uh, I it I think it was not the uh, I unless it was something like uh, you know uh, con- breaking confidentiality which yeah oh no uh, not at all it no. wasn't something secret at all no it was uh, I, I was talking about something that was supposed to be discussed in public or it, it was allowed to be discussed in public yeah. Mm. So yeah, um, yeah. For me, I would feel the same way. Like, what are you talking about? Why, why would you say that? Because of you, we have this opportunity. It should be, in the first place, you guys in that panel are obligated to include civil groups into your discussions because these discussions affect everybody in the Philippines. You cannot just monopolize the discussion by yourselves. Um, so yeah, I I would feel the same way. Although I don't. I don't hold any anger towards Dr. Tihanki because anyway, he doesn't know me and uh, I have no power in, you know, attacking his person and I don't have any reason to attack him personally. I'm just merely attacking his ideas. And because we have this group, a uh, group of people that we can share and educate about constitutional reforms, then I'm going to take the chance to share to the people in our group uh, you know the things that we learned about the the best practices that we learned about so the old people they still have a long way to go in terms of learning what best practices is uh, what best practices are i don't know if they traveled in other countries ha- i don't i i don't know what they need in order for them to see that their personal opinion is less important than the empirical data you know from from other countries so yeah hopefully hopefully we'll be able to get to a point where more civil groups will be involved in discussing the constitution because if they just limit it to the people they know they wouldn't be able to get the best ideas in in changing the constitution Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
So uh, yeah, as I mentioned, um, after our participation, there wasn't uh, much update until it evolved into the current efforts of the DILG, which is Constitutional Reform or CORE. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, and, and from what we have learned over since 2019, the original efforts to make a full-on constit- uh, uh, amend full-on constitutional reform has been whittled down because of circumstances, uh, especially mm-hmm. the pandemic, to just one of the just one key reform that's. Uh, that the DILG and uh, groups like us are trying to pursue, which is the economic uh, reforms in the constitution. By the uh, well, technically, it's not deleting the sixty forty, but it's providing you know a bit more leeway for to create mm-hmm. enact laws to uh, make uh, adjustments if necessary. Um, just to make it clear, it's not the ideal, but in the current circumstances, uh, it's better than none. Uh, though mm. right now, it's uh, although it has already been passed in the lower house, the only it still needs to be tackled in the Senate. And uh, right now, it seems the Senate has other things like. Uh, Tito Sen and Ping Lakson's uh, national, nationwide tour for whatever reason that is. Um, Pacquiao is uh, busy, you know, trying to mount a presidential campaign. Uh, and other senators commenting on national issues instead of the constitutional reform. So, Tara, what are your hopes, if any? for the economic constitutional reform to be passed and at least put into vote next year? Um, I, I'm not really hopeful that it will get passed because of the trust ratings and the approval ratings of the administration. Usually that is an indicator that people feel that nothing needs to be changed. So there has to be some kind of a disaster that should happen that will, you know, be the precursor to the change in the constitution. That's just my opinion. This this is just my um, prediction. I don't even know if I'm right. But, you know, because of the, the very high trust rating on the president, there's a lot of the people in the electorate, I think a lot of, uh, a huge percentage of the electorate may not want to change the constitution and may not see the um, after effects of the COVID economic crisis right now. Seeing that oh we're back in we're back to you know normal day to day life. Uh, oh, I see some new buses. I see some new roads. You know, VR um, just opened a new road and you know like that. So. Um, I think something horrible will happen before that provision will be um, passed because I, I'm not really hopeful that if we just wait for the current crop of um, uh, politicians right now, I don't think they feel that it's an urgent thing um, unless 
unless they have some businesses that are going down because of the uh, pandemic. So maybe if, okay, Carl, maybe it's a little bit hopeful because some of them own some shopping malls, you know, some local shopping malls, or they would own some resorts. Um, they own, I don't know, what kind of businesses, you know, these um, congressmen. And uh, because of the COVID economic crisis, the buying power of the citizens is reducing or decreasing over time. So maybe they will realize the need of constitutional reform for the, at least the economic side um, because they would see their businesses go down. So maybe that's the disaster I'm seeing that will, you know, be the precursor to to the uh, constitutional reform agenda. But frankly, I haven't seen the headlines. I mean, what what are the headlines recently regarding RBH2? I mean, is it now pending in the Senate and is the Senate tackling it? Because that's the part where we usually get problems regarding passing of the proposal. Um, what's what's the update on? I actually haven't um, read of any updates uh, on the Senate side regarding RBH2. Yeah, like I said, there's the senators are doing their own thing, and except you know raising the matter on the economic constitutional reform, which is. Uh, you know, which makes me fearful that we are not going to have that provision passed, and and which would oh, mean you know, because uh, optimally there should be a optimally the economic constitutional reform has to pass, otherwise. For one, we would have to start from ground zero, uh, from point zero, and it's you know going back to square one. In other words, that you know it's we're we're losing opportunity and we have to start all over, and that's frankly it's tiring, you know. And second, with the pandemic, I'm not sure how the Philippines we're going to survive if yeah economically or how much it would have to slide down. And because of the pandemic and plus the economic restrictions. So sometimes, you know, as much as I don't like to think about it, you know, part of me is inclined to wish for some major catastrophe if just to get the policymakers uh moving and you know have talk talk to talk some sense into them because yeah it's uh, like i said it's uh it's been a frustrating uh experience it, it's despite of the breakthroughs we've done it's still a frustrating experience pushing for something that is uh you know tends to be misunderstood or twisted as the issue of constitutional reform True. Um, the uh, politicians don't see the... Yeah, I think what Gabby is saying, uh, if you could show um, Gabby's um, comment 
Um, he's saying we don't need a disaster because we're already in the middle of one and the president must use his popularity and clout to get RBH2 passed. Um, yeah, that it will it will be one of his best um, legacies. That's the part that I think is not happening. I don't think our politicians are seeing the disaster that has been brought about by COVID. I think they're thinking that Oh, we'll just um, open up businesses again. Local, huh? Because uh, we're still restricted to foreign direct investors. Um, oh, we'll just open up the carinderias and the milk tea shops and things like that and everything will be okay again. I think that's what they're thinking. And then they will rely heavily on BPOs, mm, mga, mga illegal, baka yung pogo, masali dyan sa mga ano, yung major milking cow ng bansa after the COVID crisis. So, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think a major shift in, you know, re relying on some kind of industry will happen. And then it will crash. Kasi over, di ba, we've learned in our studies in the group na if you, if a country over relies on a certain industry, the economy will go down because of non-diversity. Hindi siya diverse. So, pag, if there will be a global economic crisis, it will affect the country um, harshly. So, yeah, somehow there might be a shift into the reliance of not only the OFW remittance, but also the BPO sector. Yung mga, those that function even without um, opening offices. Um, maybe they will tax you, <laughs> Carl. I think they will start taxing um home based. Ano? I I really feel that yung mga freelancers they will tax you guys and the home based workers uh who don't have formal employment. I think they will go after you because there's no there's no source of revenue na yung the the formal source of revenue the trade or the investments they're not coming in as as um you know as uh, as much as before and then all the more now na everybody is shifting to vietnam or thailand because they're open to foreign direct investors so uh maybe that that will be the disaster um that will happen <laughs> Parang over reliance on a certain industry and then the, the economy might crash because it's too it's too mono you know it, it's too focused on one kind of industry or one or two kinds of industry so yeah um, it's sad to think about it I, I'm sorry guys I'm not saying na nagsiselebrate ako na yay yung Pilipinas maging ano magka-crash ang economy tapos yung mga tao eh, kakain na sa basura I'm not happy about that I'm just saying that because of the hard-headedness of our politicians, they're now focused on the 2022 elections. It's really possible that some kind of a disaster or a catastrophe, as you said, is going to happen first before they will realize that, oh, yung business namin wala na pala. Oh, yung hotel na, uh, that I own is not, is not opening. I'm going to close it now because nobody has the money to stay there anymore or the rich people, they've moved to other countries, you know, like that. So um, it's it's going to be so sad, but uh, maybe it will be a necessary catastrophe 
for the Philippines. Um, so how would you feel, Carl, if they will start, um, you know, imposing a lot of taxes on freelancing and home-based work? What would what do you think about that? Well, um, <laughs> well, to, uh, technically, the BIR is already, you know, I think they're not, but they're starting to, you know, entice, you know, freelancers to pay taxes, you know, uh, especially with the train law. It's the train law in some aspects is catered towards freelancers and, you know, uh, mm. professionals because it's the, uh, it's aimed to be the ta- uh, computing of taxes uh, sp- uh, easier. So mm. that's, so right now it's more of the attracting phase, but I won't be surprised if it would go into more extreme measures. And, <laughs> it, and you know, well, going back to your June's Day scenario, um, I, uh, this is, uh, I hope it doesn't happen, but you know, the, nihilist in me is thinking that the way for the Philippines to get its act together in reforms, there would be like a bloody revolution and people would be, you know, clashing the streets and then, you know, I hope it doesn't happen, but there's like this scenario that, you know, people destroying mm-hmm. the buildings in Makati, uh, <laughs> invading Forbes and Dasmarinas village. I think that would be the impetus for them Petus to do the reforms if something like that happens. That's the disaster mm. I'm thinking of. And perhaps in in uh, in I I don't I forgot the status of my region. They, it, this region is classified as a uh, uh, class five region, or you know, parang mababa yung sobrang hirap na region. I think regions like mine. Uh, so let let's say that doomsday scenario will happen, and you know protests will happen and riots and they will break the wind glass windows and things like that but uh, i think what will happen in in my region is there's going to be a rise in crime um because of the the economic crisis or the economic crash so i it's really disheartening to think about it but there's nothing we can do about this right now if the politicians that we're trying to reach don't even want to listen to us. And that's what some of our dissenters, our crit- critics are telling the correct movement as well. Like, oh, you guys are so passionate with promoting constitutional reform, but you don't even know how to reach the politicians who are going to be the ones to to change or put forth the change in the constitution. And contrary to that, I think our efforts have been fairly you know um, strong um, it's just that the bureaucracy is just so it's just so thick and it's so hard to penetrate if you're just there to relay information to those people because they have their positions they don't want you they're like the cordon sanitaire of the president and I I'm also frustrated why Orion never got to talk to Duterte that's one of the disappointments also yeah. I had. It's it's one of the it's one of the basic things that should have happened during the Duterte presidency. Because 
if Orion got the chance to talk to Duterte, I'm more than positive that Duterte will place Orion in the middle of the debates for constitutional reform. And it may not be within the DILG. He may not become an undersecretary, but he could be an envoy, yung parang liaison, or a representative of the executive. Pag mag, ano, it, it's really disappointing for me na hindi nila kinuha si Orion. Yeah, for like a, because there's like a youth ambassador. Yeah. yeah. Orion could have been the constitutional reform ambassador, you know, and, you know, at, and gets, uh, you know, uh, the more TV uh, media time to reach more people mm-hmm. instead of the likes of the old man Monsod or Davide and those anti-reformist uh, people. Why? You know? Why are they being... Uh, and this is what bothers me. The discussion is about changing constitutional reform. I mean, I mean, changing the constitution. Why are the resource persons against uh, changing the constitution? Alam mo yun, Carl? Uh, like, wh- why? Parang hindi balance yung number of pro-constitutional reform at saka yung anti-constitutional. It's always like, the more airtime, more airtime is given to those anti-constitutional reforms in the legislature compared to the pro-constitutional reforms. And the purpose, the purpose of the committee of Kiko, Kiko Pangilinan, is constitutional amendment. But he is hell-bent not to amend. That's what my dad was saying. He's not doing his job because he didn't amend the constitution. He should be replaced. He should he should have been voted out by Pacquiao or made a motion or something to be to be replaced sa chairmanship. So yeah, it's one of the things that I'm really frustrated about na the person and the people who are assigned to amend the constitution do not have any plans to amend the constitution. So they're not supposed to be the people who who should handle that job. It should be like you know, other people like, I don't know, Bato, or at least man lang si Hontiveros kasi she was inclined towards federalism, pero I don't know if she's interested in doing it under this administration, so could also be an obstacle. So, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the frustrating parts of ano, this movement, uh, this advocacy na it's hard to get the people to listen, the people who will change the constitution to listen to you because they have their own, you know, interests um, to protect. Yeah, that's why. Oh, Orion is a threat to the oligarchs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this one, Carl. Yung comment ni Ronan. Yeah. Oh, this one. Oh, I really hated this. Mm. Bumbukal talaga ang dugo ko nito. I have a screenshot coming from Kaki herself saying that as long as my dad is the chairman of the Committee on Constitutional Events, you can never touch the 1987 Constitution. Yeah, and that's the, and that is the really frustrating part because the person who is tasked to amend the Constitution does not want to amend the Constitution. So yeah, it should not be pangilinan in the first place. You know, and all with all the talk about Duterte being a dictator, 
this particular instance is an example why I don't think Duterte is a dictator. Uh, yeah. On the contrary, he's he's actually as as far as constitutional reforms concerned, he sorry to say, but he's uh, he has a he doesn't have the heart at this time to do it. Otherwise, he yeah. would have done it a long time ago. So he went soft. Yeah. Mm. He went soft. He retracted sure. a lot of his statements. Mm. For sure me, I'm I'm a former that. I'm a former Duterte supporter. I would say, though I'm not really still inclined to vote for the Liberal Party unless Stella Quimbo will, you know, take the reins and lead the Liberal Party to success. Um, I'm very disappointed with the Duterte administration because you know, it didn't use its political capital in order yeah. to push for constitutional reform in in the um, uh, in Congress, as Gabby has correctly put it. Because of the trust rating at ninety, it it would have been eighty to ninety percent, which is so high. That is enough political capital to actually influence the legislators to, you know, do the the task that he wanted them to do and let's just be realistic here there's no separation of executive legislative judiciary in this country it's it's a no it's based on popularity whoever is popular will get to influence those in the legislature because it's a budget issue diba it's a budget issue it's an appointment utang na loob issue the president gets to appoint this and approve that so he actually has a lot of influence in in the legislature, to be honest. So let's just stop kidding ourselves. And there's no separation of, of you know, branches in, in the Philippines. It's, it's not real. It's just superficial. Just, mm-hmm. like, just like Monsodi said, oh, the intent of the Constitution is like this. So the intent of the, the three branches of government, what's happening right now, is that the executive is encroaching into the legislative and the legislative is also entering into the executive department because in the first place, they should have been in one chamber. They're supposed to work together. Yun ang hindi naintindihan ng mga tao. Mahirap, mahirap intindihin. Yeah. Your um, political enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh... You know, going back to what said, it's these uh, realities uh, staring in the face, but still people still refuse the need to, still refuse to see the need to reform the system. You know, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, it's disheartening to continue with the fight, but at the end of the day, uh, we have to keep on doing it because you know uh, it's not just for ourselves but for the next generation that they do not deserve the situation that we are facing right now exactly we deserve better we're a people we are a hard-working people we are a strong people we are professionals we do our work well we are loyal to our families we're loyal to our loved ones. So we deserve a constitution 
that will protect our interests and protect our rights, uh, in a constitution that will protect our liberties. So I, I really, you know, this uh, disappointed when people fail to see that, that the constitution itself is a hindrance to our liberty, to our freedom as Filipinos. It's very um, disappointing. I mean, do we want to be free? Do you want to be free, Carl? <laughs> I want to be free. I want to be able to have a choice to choose the health institution that I can work for if ever I, I pass the board exam and become, become a nurse, finally, after 13 years. So I don't pretty much have a choice. I want to stay in my municipality. And what's the options here? A district hospital, a private hospital that even I think it pays less or maybe pays a little bit more, but not enough. So it doesn't give us a lot of choice here. We have to change this constitution so we can have you know, the liberty that uh, we are looking for, freedom that we're looking for. And what do you think about those people who look down on us? Like, we don't deserve this kind of system because we're so lazy and things like that. What do you think about those people? Tell them frankly, they're idiots. <laughs> I agree. So, parang they they look down on because they look down on the Philippines, then they look down on themselves as well. So um, it's um, it's a combination of education and convincing the right people. It's a very difficult job, and I don't know how Orion has been doing this since I know the nineties. <laughs> you know, so I. I think it was 2010. I don't know where he... Uh, 2010. So I don't know where he got his strength to do all this. It's a frustrating um, advocacy because it's an intellectual-based uh, movement. Okay. Yeah. May mga well, comments na. Well, what they say, someone has to do it, you know, uh, yeah. how, regardless of how hard the fight and how long it's going to take you know at the end of the day you know we have to do it because who knows if there are others who can you know who can take up our place uh, I, like at the very least um the best we can do is we can inspire people to you know join the advocacy and uh Fight for a better Philippines, not a mediocre system, if not if not worse system that we have right now. So um, that being said, uh, we're almost two hours down the stream. We have uh, I didn't expect okay. we go on this long. <laughs> Me uh, too. Our, yeah. Um, I guess to uh, I guess we have to wrap this up. So I'm going to wrap this up with this question. For you, and uh, I think you've touched on this, but uh, what? Sorry, <laughs> I mean, what is constitutional reform to you? Uh, constitutional reform is basically the key 
to the door of progress for the Philippines. And it is hope for many, many poor people. And if anybody is going to discredit or attack or mock constitutional reform, I would like to tell any, anybody who does that right now, you are mocking that the, the key to the solutions to poverty and progress in the Philippines. You're making a mockery of the hope for the lives of the poor in the Philippines. And you should be ashamed of yourselves because that means that you people who, who are against, who are mocking constitutional reform, you don't care about the, the Filipinos who are suffering right now. Cons the constitutional reform agenda is the hope of so many poor people in the Philippines. So don't you dare mock it, especially without data, because we're going to come after you. That's what we correctors are here for anyway. We'll find you. And we will kill your arguments. <laughs> Be careful of uh, Tara. She's uh, she's a female Liam Neeson. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just some... Uh, I need to share some uh, last few comments here. I, mm -hmm. And uh, I apologize if uh, I haven't been commenting uh, on these... Uh, Comments being shared mostly on the Facebook page of the Constitution Project, um, but I am highlighting them as uh, they go along. So, anyway, Tara, uh, would you invite them to uh, get the, uh, you know, to visit the Correct Movement? So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So my work now is concentrated on the moderated public forum where I'm trying to attract. A lot of netizens to share their thoughts. I was previously concentrated on creating videos and content for the Facebook page uh, and now I've shifted over to creating engagement for the correct movement. So I'm inviting everyone to share your thoughts, even your objections and if you get the occasional insults, just take it anyway because this is why people are angry. We're angry because we haven't progressed. We're angry because Singapore is like kilometers higher than us. So please go to the Correct Movement Moderated Public Forum and we're going to have live discussions there. We're going to have posts there. You post your answers and I also want to invite you to read the materials you know, before you start attacking uh, constitutional reforms, if you ever have an intention of attacking constitutional reform. So, so that's it. Welcome to, uh, let's go to the forum. Yeah, and uh, inviting you as well to uh, check out uh, the Facebook page of the Constitution Project. Uh, that's it. Facebook.com slash Constitution Project. Uh, we also have a website which uh, haven't been updated yet, but hope to do so. Constitutionproject.org. Uh, also, like us on Twitter at, cons uh, at Constitution Project for uh, insightful uh, information uh, regarding the need for constitutional reform in the country. So, yeah, 
this has been a very uh, lively and productive uh, live stream. Uh, thank you, Tara, for uh, joining me here. Uh, hope we can do something like this again soon. It's been, yes. uh, and like I said, it's uh, it's actually my first time to do a live stream, and it's been fun. So I hope to do something like this again in the future. Uh, also, with my other page, uh, I also have another page as you may know, the Urban Rover. So hope to do that something there as well. So uh, yeah, uh, thank you all for watching and thank you for your insights, uh, for sharing this video. Uh, go go ahead and watch it again and again on the Constitution Project uh, Facebook page and on YouTube, on my personal YouTube. Uh, Carl Gillar uh, will be sharing the link uh, on YouTube uh, shortly. Um, but till then, thank you so much for watching and have a good day, have a good evening wherever you are stay safe and uh padayon for constitutional reform thank you <laughs>